Um, this morning, um, um, I want to talk about a passage from Luke 11, and I'm just going to ask my assistant to come up and read that for me. Uh, so my husband Duncan's going to read that. And for those um, who like a title for a talk, I've, I've named this Shameless Audacious Knocking. So the passage this morning is from Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. Jesus' teaching on prayer. One day, Jesus was praying. He was in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, the Anglicans in the house. Thank you. So how many people here have ever had to knock on their neighbor's door um, in a time of need? A few. Has anybody um, ever ha done the asking for a cup of sugar thing? No, I never. Oh, you have. I've never understood that. Um, when I read this parable again, I felt a little bit of the uncomfortableness on behalf of the neighbour who is in need, and I think that's because I'm not good at asking when I'm in in need, and I certainly don't ever want to have to knock on my neighbour's door and disturb them because that's just just not proper. Or good, So I felt uncomfortable and I thought I would never do that. And then I remembered that I have done that and I've done it at least three times. One time when I locked my one-year-old in the house when I went out to get something in the car. But the, the time I was going to tell you about is um, when we were moving house um, and it was moving day and we'd got into the new house, um, all the things had been brought in so the boxes were stacked high everywhere. We had that moment of, phew, it's done. And then you look around and realize it's only just the beginning. 
Um, and it was the end of the day, and I was starving hungry. And when I'm hungry, I'm mean, so I need food. And so I think somebody went out to get us um, a takeaway. And so I was desperately looking through all our kitchen boxes, um, looking for our plates and our cutlery, but I couldn't find the cutlery. It just wasn't anywhere. And this was a desperate situation. This desperation meant that I had to go and knock on my neighbor's door and ask them for forks. So it turns out I would knock on a neighbor's door if the need was great enough. And isn't it sometimes like that with prayer? When we, are, when we have a great need, we are happy to knock on the door. And the man that we hear about in this parable was in great need. And we might not grasp the depth of this need, but in those days, um, in Middle Eastern culture, hospitality was held at very high regard. To not be able to welcome your guests in and host well would have been a really big faux pas. And not to have bread would have been a disaster because bread was a staple part of their diet that would have been made fresh every day. So the need for, to cover any um, shame or embarrassment led this man to go and knock on his neighbor's door. Um, and we hear, um, to start with, that the neighbor sends him away. He says, oh, get lost, I'm in bed, the family are in bed, stop bothering me. But we're told that the man is persistent and eventually the neighbor gets up and probably hells him a few loaves of bread. But I wonder how he started knocking, whether it was just a little gentle knock or whether he was straight in there pounding at the door. And I wonder how our prayerful knocking is at the moment. I wonder perhaps you might not even be knocking at all or you might just be tentatively knocking and coming as and when need arises or you may find yourself in a situation that you do feel like you are pounding on the door. Um, and this passage today is teaching us that God wants us to persistently and consistently come to him in prayer. And so I want to look this morning um, at three reasons that might be preventing us from shamelessly and audaciously coming to him. The first reason is we might be uncertain of our status. Audacity is a willingness to take bold risks. And audacity in this case is bold to the point of almost being impertinent or a little bit rude or cheeky. And that type of boldness can come either from a great need, like we said, or it can come based on our relationship with the person of whom we're asking. When the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray, he begins with Father. That Father is the very first thing that we're to learn in prayer is deeply profound and very significant. How we view our Heavenly Father directly affects our confidence in coming to him. And so this parable isn't teaching us that God is like the neighbor um, in the story, that he perhaps will eventually answer us because he's annoyed with us and just wants to get rid of us. Um, parables in the Bible can either be parables of contrast or parables of comparison. An example of a parable of comparison is um, the story of the prodigal son. And so we're being told here 
that the father in that story shows us what God is like. That the father goes looking for his wayward son and he welcomes him back with open arms, total forgiveness and complete joy. But the parable in Luke 11 that we read today is a parable of contrast, teaching us that God's different to that. At the end of the reading, Jesus underlines this by saying, imagine if a child came to father um, and asked for a fish, would he give him a snake? Or if he came and asked for an egg, um, would he give him a scorpion? And we think straight away, well, that's ridiculous. Um, Of course, a loving father wouldn't do that. And so it is with our Heavenly Father, who never slumbers or sleeps, who knows our needs and loves to give us good gifts, will answer when we ask. In a previous job, I used to work for this lady, and I worked there for about five years, um, so I got to know her quite well. And I remember talking to her one day, and she was explaining um, about her, her upbringing and the fact that she was taken to church. And she said to me, oh, you're a Christian, aren't you? So to which, of course, I said yes. But then she paused and said, but you're not a normal Christian, are you? <laughs> to which I laughed, and then I said, what do you mean? And so she went on to tell me how her father used the Bible and Christianity in such a strict and punitive way that it made her not want to have anything to do with God. She went on to say how she would often be physically punished in the name of Scripture and in the name of God and because of her sinfulness. She was left, understandably, with a very skewed idea of Christianity. And so I suddenly understood why she said, but you're not a normal Christian. So I took my opportunity to tell her what sort of Christian I was. I hope I told her how very sorry I was for how she had been treated by her dad and how I understood that that would make her view God as a distant, strict, and punishing father. I hope I told her that the opposite is true, that my faith is based on a loving father whose intention has always been to live with his family forever in paradise. That the whole Bible is a redemptive story of God's love for us. And I hope that I slipped into the conversation one of my favorite quotes that says, if the whole Bible were to be summed up in one sentence, it would cry out like the waves resounding on the seashore, the Father loves you. I hope I told her that we can be part of his family by the wonder of spiritual adoption as it says in Ephesians 1, and I'm going to read um, from the message version because I I really like it. It says, long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long ago, he decided to adopt, adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ, what pleasure he took in planning this. 
He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. I'm not sure I quite said all of that or put it quite like that, but I am so pleased that she noticed that I'm not a normal Christian. I think it's probably one of the nicest compliments I've ever been given. See, when we grasp the truth of the Father's love, it changes everything. When children know they are loved, then they can shamelessly and audaciously ask for anything. And so I wonder if the strength of our knocking today can be an indication of the current grasping of that truth in our hearts. Do you know your status as a child of God? So every human being on this planet is um, one of God's creation, one of his masterpiece. But we also get to be his child, his son, or his daughter. And simply by saying yes. So if you don't know that today, I would encourage you, and you'd like to do that, I'd encourage you um, just to come and see somebody afterwards. Come and come to the front when you're invited for prayer. And for, for others who have become Christians and have been adopted into the family, I wonder if we've grasped that truth on such a deep level that we know we can shamelessly and audaciously ask anything. Persistence in prayer is an indication of our soul's confidence. Last week, Ben spoke brilliantly about the Hebrews um, statements, the let us statements in Hebrews. And my prayer is that we can know the truth of a let us statement in Hebrews 4 that says, let us therefore approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. The second reason that we might find it difficult to come and ask shamelessly and audaciously is out of fear of disappointment. My husband Duncan has bought me lots of really good gifts over the 30 years of um, our relationship. Um, but there was one present that I can remember that he bought me that was a big disappointment. Um, he bought me a vacuum sealer. For those who don't know, he got it from Lakeland, but I'm sure you can buy it from any other reputable kitchenware um, shop. Um, and it's for keeping your food fresh. So for example, if you had a, like a chicken breast or a, um, a salmon fillet and it was one left over, rather than just cling filming the top, going back to your freezer weeks later and finding that it had all gone white with freezer burn, you put it in a little plastic bag, you put it in the, the vacuum sealer, it sucks out all the air and, and seals it up nicely. Um, handy, you might think, and it is. But guys, I don't think it's ever a good idea to buy your lady a kitchen appliance, just saying. And even though I was disappointed with that gift, and I still would like gifts, um, it's, <laughs> it didn't change, obviously, what I think about Duncan. I love Duncan because of who he is and not because what he gives me. And this is obviously a trivial disappointment. Um, and I still do enjoy teasing him about it often. 
Um, but the point being is when um, we ask God for anything, we need to keep focused on the giver and not on the gift. I read an Instagram quote recently. I love a good Christian quote. If God's answer is yes, he's increasing our faith. If his answer is wait, he's increasing our patience. And if his answer is no, he's got something better. I love a yes answer straight away from prayer, don't, don't you? Love it. Don't love a wait as much. I'm not very patient. We aren't, I'm not naturally built for patience. And current culture is all about speed, isn't it? You can get anything at the click of the button. You can get it immediately. Or at worst, you might have to wait till the next day. You can book a restaurant with a click of a button. So when last night we turned up at the restaurant that I had booked, um, for them to make me wait was just an outrageous thought. I was like, you, I've done the booking, I did it earlier, and they just couldn't find it anywhere. Um, and so I pulled up my email and I said, see, 6.45, and then my face dropped as I saw that I had booked it for the 20th of March. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't quite know how, but Duncan said, classic Karen. <laughs> Waiting for an answer to prayer can lead to disappointment and dampen our persistent asking. And yet, we are told to keep on asking. Verse 9 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. The verse is written in the present active imperative, um, which basically means that it is a command that it's expected to be followed not once, but ongoing. So ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, and knock and keep on knocking. So yes is a great, waits are hard, but no's are even harder. And a no, and the quote is, if it's a no, he's got something better. When I came back to the quote weeks later, I thought, stupid twee quote, I'm not going to use that. It got me quite annoyed. But then I was gently reminded by the Lord that I was focusing on the gift and not on the giver. No's are hard if we don't get what we want. But he will say no if what we're asking for is not part of his will. Prayer isn't about bending God's will to ours, but it's about bending our will to his His nose can often make sense in retrospect. We can look back and think, thank goodness he said no about that job or about that house or about that relationship. We need to trust the giver knowing he has got the very best for us. And I'm very aware that people here today um, may be facing extremely difficult circumstances like relationship breakdowns or severe financial um, situation, potential loss of a loved one, or struggling with a life-limiting condition. How on earth do we move beyond the fear of disappointment in such circumstances and persistently and consistently bang on the door? I love the attitude of three men called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
we read about these three, three men in Daniel 3, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Um, and in this chapter, we read that King Nebuchadnezzar decides to make um, a 90-foot gold statue of himself and decrees that whenever music is played in the land, that everybody's to bow down to him um, and worship. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse. Some local astrologers find out that they're refusing um, and goes, go and dobs them into the king. The king becomes extremely angry, um, demands that he, they come and see him, and basically say, is this right? If you don't start bowing down when the music plays, I will throw you into the fiery furnace. We... Hold on... We read their reply in um, Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not... We want you to know, your majesty, that he will not serve your God. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I love their response. They have totally grasped that God is able to save them. And yet they say, but even if he does not, they acknowledge that his answer may be no, and it changes nothing for them. And I find this really challenging, because I think in that situation, my eyes would have been firmly on the fire and not on God. Over the years, I've had some no's, and that's some hard no's, and yet I can testify to God always being faithful and always good. I troubled for years with a debilitating back condition when the kids were really small. And I just kept pounding and asking, Lord, heal me. Why aren't you healing me? You've healed me before. Why not now? And he didn't. But I knew of his goodness and I knew of his presence and his faithfulness. Some years ago, due to financial situation, we had to, to sell our house and move somewhere new. Um, and we, as a family knew of God's faithfulness in that. We knew of his provision and his guide, guidance, and we saw many good things coming out of that. Partly was one of the reasons we came back to this church, two of our kids met their fiancés, and many other things. My lovely mum died a few years ago, and as I sat at her bedside, I was devastated but also so aware of the Lord's presence with us. He doesn't promise an absence, an absence of pain, but he does promise that he will be present in it. And I knew of his presence. And also, as, as she slipped away from us, I was confident, and I am still confident, of where she's gone, because he promised that he had a room for her. And so his better, when it's a no, is him. His presence, his comfort, 
his peace, his provision, and ultimately his promise of eternal life in him. And so my prayer today is that no matter what fire we face and no matter the outcome, we can keep our eyes firmly fixed on him with no fear of disappointment. My final reason of why we, not be, why we might not be good at shamelessly and audaciously asking of him is that we simply don't know what to ask for. I love in the story of the prodigal son, at the end when the older brother um, goes to his father basically to have a moan and groan and say, it's not fair, dad, um, that his younger brother, who had gone off with the money, had um, done some very morally questionable things, and yet he got the big party. So he, the older brother was just having moan, a moan. I love the father's response. He says, my son... You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. And that's what the Lord would say to us today. My son, my daughter, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. And so thinking about how we can come shamelessly and audaciously to him, I need to grasp that truth that everything he has is mine. Every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ is mine. So if I need more peace in my life, I need to ask him. If I'm struggling and feeling weak, I need to ask him. If I am desperate about a friend or a member of my family, I need to keep on asking. Because he says, come, ask me anything and I wonder sometimes what he thinks of my tiny little prayers when I just say, oh, knock, knock, can I have this? If it was me, I'd be like, is that your best shot? Come on, I'm the king of kings, I'm the lord of lords, ask something big of me. And so that's my, that's my challenge today for us all. How can we become more shameless and audacious in our asks? Because it changes stuff. It changes everything. The simple ask of, Lord, can I have more? It changes our hearts. If you want other ideas, there's loads of prayers in the Bible, big, audacious prayers. Jacob wrestled with um, an angel of God, and he said to him, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. That's quite audacious. Moses said, show me your glory. Hannah boldly and persistently kept praying for a child. Elisha prayed for a double portion. How rude. The father of a demon-possessed man prayed, help me in my unbelief. The man with less leprosy prayed, make me clean. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And as he hung on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They're audacious prayers. And I feel challenged to pray more like, like that. And so let's ask him for more, knowing that he's a God 
that loves us and loves to to give good gifts to us. And that the change in us as we ask for more of the Holy Spirit is recognized by people around us. They'll start saying, you're not a normal Christian. And it's for other people. It's for the places where we live, the places where we work, for our nation. There's a line in Psalm 2 that says, ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. That's an audacious prayer. And in James it says, um, we don't have because we don't ask. So let's start asking. Let's start asking for the nations, for our inheritance. We look around and we see the world in such a mess. It's us. We should be rising up. We should be not tentatively knocking at the door. So Lord, make me somebody that bangs on the door and asks for change, asks for transformation, asks for healing in our communities and in this world. And so my prayer today is that we would become a people that are shameless and audacious in our prayers so that we can cry out the most audacious of prayers. For example, O Lord, for our inheritance, give us the lost. Amen.